Well, good evening. I'm glad you returned to hear from God's word, to sing God's praises, and to ultimately give glory to God. Please turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. Um, it's a privilege always to look around and see that we have young and old praising the Lord with their mouths, singing out praises to God. I'm always encouraged by that. 2 Peter 1 chapter 3, verse 3 actually says, By his divine power, he grants us all things for life and godliness. Even passages like 2 Peter 2, which are really hard and difficult passages. We'll be looking at verses 4 through 10. And it would really be easier for me, but worse for us all, if we just skipped the rest of 2 Peter. If we just skip chapter 2 and chapter 3. This text is not easy. But we see here that Peter does not mince words when it comes to our sin and God's judgment. And as people of the word, we must dig deeper to see, one, first, where we can grow and love God, and two, where we can point others away from the impending judgments that are upon them. So as we read this, have those things in mind. Second Peter 2, starting in verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as the, that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of the defiling passion and despise authority. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we know that your word is good. We know that it's good for us to hear your word. Father, I pray that even tonight you would allow us to listen well to know that the judgment day is coming, but to know that we have a great Redeemer that says to come to Him. And so, Father, I pray that even through my faulty preaching tonight, my faulty words tonight, that there will be a glimmer of the gospel hope, a glimmer of Christ that people would be able to come to and believe upon and trust in. Father, help us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last time, it's been a, a while since we've been in Second Peter, we looked at the character of false teachers. There are really two bookends to Second Peter 1 through, 2, 1 through 10 uh, of where we see God's judgment being reserved. First, we see that 
there is judgment for those who commit themselves to teaching and preaching a gospel that is antithetical to what the scriptures have taught. And we need to remember that false teachers are not just the ones who have a huge platform. They're not just the ones who even wield the sword of the Bible wrongly. Rather, it is anyone, anyone who would lead another away from the truth of God, either by their speech or by their conduct. The second bookend comes in verse 10, which is where we will spend most of our time tonight. It is that God is going to judge anyone who indulges in sensuality and despises authority. Now, if you were to look around our society, what do you see? Do you see great purity and obedience? Or do you see sensuality and disobedience? Do you see the common man looking out after the good of their neighbor? Or do you see the common man looking out for the good of themselves? Do you see mothers and fathers investing, caring, and disciplining their children? Do you see children honoring their parents? Do you see employees honoring their employers? Do you see husbands respecting their wives with how they speak, with what they put before their eyes, or how they love and cherish them? Do you see wives honoring and serving their husbands with a gentle and quiet spirit? Do you see young men treating young ladies as if they are sisters in the Lord? Do you see young ladies encouraging young men toward purity, toward leadership, and toward responsibility? I fear, I bet many of you who are here tonight, I fear far too often I see the opposite in our society and even at times within the church. Culture has drifted in and influenced the church in such a way that it tells us to look out for ourselves. Look out for number one and not the good of our neighbor. The world presents us with numerous distractions that we don't have time for family worship. Our technology has distracted us from loving our spouse as Christ has loved the church because there is now a built-in escapism. And that's called our phone. That's called our televisions. That's called our laptops. And we don't have time for fellowship with our own families, let alone fellowship with the church. Our youth, I'm going, I'm going to tell you this, our youth are really being told this. They're being told to pick their pronouns, that they can be some other sex than what God has ordained them to be, or what God has actually ordained them as, beloved. We live in a world full of sensuality. It's before us at every turn that is seeking to drive a state between ourselves and God. And we live in a world that hates authority. It hates authority. Look out for number one. So I have two questions from this text that I want to answer this evening. First, who does God judge? And second, who will God 
rescue. First, who or what does God judge? Everything in these verses hinge on what Peter says in verse 9 and 10. If you look down, it says, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. We need to understand that God speaks to both the destruction of the wicked and the deliverance of the righteous. And it seems to me as I grow older, and I think many of you out there will experience this as well, as I grow older and more refined in the knowledge of God's word, things aren't overly complicated. God doesn't make things very complicated for us. Either you are under the law or you're under grace. Either you are in Adam or you're what? In Christ. Either you are going to face destruction or you're going to be delivered. And the question that seems to loom over all of us is this. What category am I in? What category am I in? Even many of us as professing Christians ask ourselves this question quite often. In some ways we are plagued by our own fears of the judgment, but in other ways we are struggling with ongoing besetting sins. J.C. Ross once said, I maintain that to tell a person they are born again while they are living in carelessness or sin is a dangerous delusion. And that's why it's important. It's really important. No matter if you're a believer or unbeliever tonight, it's really important to listen carefully to sermons that are about your sin and about judgment. And what we need to first recognize about this passage is that God is going to judge those who are against him, those who set their face against him. All throughout the Bible, God has silenced those who set their faces upon evil things. We see from our text that God judged Lucifer and the rest of the angels who set themselves against his authority. These angels could not just exist under his rule. They needed more. They aren't the ones in Revelation crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In fact, Isaiah 14 gives us a good picture of Satan and how he is disobedient and how he wants his own glory. It says this, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, this is God speaking of Satan, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will make myself like the most high. Who else does that sound like? The serpent. Serpent in the garden. Don't you know you can be like God? Satan and the other angels despised God's authority and honored themselves rather than their creator. And they were judged and they will be judged forever. Another example 
from our passage is God judged those in Noah's day. If you want to turn to Genesis 6, if you have your Bibles, just want to read this with you. This is an important passage to understand the wickedness in which Peter is referring to. Genesis 6, starting in verse 5. Moses says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. That's how bad sin had gotten upon the earth. That's how bad the sensuality, the disobedience had gotten on the earth. So the Lord said in verse 7, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I had ever made them. That's how bad our sin had progressed to. Seems similar. Seems similar to much of what the world says is good and right. The wickedness that the world puts on display. Psalm 1 tells us that the Lord does, in fact, know how to judge. Tells us that the wicked are like chaff, that the wind drives away, that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the wicked will surely perish. They'll be judged. Psalm 37 says this, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Some of us are jealous of the wrongdoing, the evil that goes on. We want to embrace this evil. Psalm 37 says, These evildoers will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Proverbs 5 tells us of the forbidden woman's words. He says her words are smoother than oil, but her path will lead us to death, to Sheol. That her words will lead us to judgment. Sensuality will lead you to being judged. Think on God's judgment toward the unrepentant cities in the day of Christ who lived in their sin and would not repent. He says to them that it will be worse for you than those in Sodom and Gomorrah. Think on his judgments. Think on his judgments. Don't fall asleep right now. Don't go away. Think on his judgments. God will not allow his people, his promises, or his purposes to be thwarted. In fact, he will never be compromised by evil doers. Friends, our God is a God of judgment. And to understand our deliverance, we have to understand why he judges. And so I want to answer that question real quick. Turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans 9 is a wonderful passage of God's sovereignty over salvation. Is what, we, what we really get to see is God's good grace to us. That he elects us. But Romans 9.22 helps us answer the question of why he judges and why he condemns. 9 verse 22 it says, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? 
this is the key, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Friends, we need to squash even the faint idea that God will not judge sin because if he did not judge sin, we as believers would not know the full depths of his mercy. You would not have the full depths of his mercy. Now, if you'll turn back to 2 Peter, I know I'm making you turn a lot. 2 Peter 2. Look down at our text. Peter in these verses 4 through 7 uses really I think 4 through 8 but uses four different if statements if this then this and then finally in verse 9 we finally see the then statements all all, all I can imagine thinking is god I'm ready for the then <laughs> I'm ready for the then to happen sometimes we ponder when is the then going to come? <laughs> when am I going to be delivered? When is the wicked going to be judged for their sins? We're like David in Psalm 13. How long, O oh Lord? Feel, feel the weight of what David's saying. How long, God, must I put up with this wickedness that's around me? How, much, how long, O oh Lord, must I put up with the enemies of Israel? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Have you felt like this? Have you felt like this when you see the sensuality in our world? The perversion in our world? Have you felt like this when you see even the consequences of sin in our world? The consequences of sensuality? Abortion, a, a great and heinous sin has occurred because people cannot, people cannot go without. They cannot abstain. They cannot love just their wife or their husband. Do you feel like th that God has forgotten you when you have a harsh employer or an unloving spouse? Let me ask you a simple question. If God doomed the disobedient angels, if God destroyed the ancient world of Noah and turned the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, does he not know how to deliver all wickedness to judgment? He does, and he will. He will, in fact, judge people on the judgment day. Beloved, there will come a time when the wickedness that surround us, the debauchery, the murder, the sensuality, the arrogance, and the lies will be no more. The question, the question that we genuinely have to ask ourselves is will we be found believing when that day comes? Will you actually have faith when the day comes, when the day of judgment comes? And this leads me to my second question. Who will God rescue? What's well, pretty Simple, right? It's right there in verse 9. God rescues the godly. Who are the godly? Who are the ones that will be rescued? Well, we see three very different examples of those who are godly here in 2 Peter. 
First, we can assume that there are, in fact, obedient angels. We know that not all of the angels were delivered over to judgment. For we see angels pictured in the Old and the New Testaments in positive lights. They were heralds of God's grace. They were servants of the Most High. And we know in 2 Thessalonians 1.7, we know that when Christ comes again, he will come with his mighty angels to judge the wicked. In Genesis 6, we see that the whole earth was continually wicked. A terrible place. But yet God in his grace and mercy preserved one. Gave faith to one. And his name was Noah. This man was found to be faithful. And God preserved a remnant. And we see even in our text tonight that Noah was a herald for righteousness. Noah was warning. He was warning all he could find of the judgment day to come. Are you warning others of the judgment day to come? Are you telling people that judgment is coming? And the final example is where I want to spend a little bit more time is Lot. I want to be careful and not speak where the Bible doesn't speak. For what we know is that Sodom and Gomorrah was filled with wickedness, yet Lot was found to be righteous and was preserved from the judgment. And Lot's wife is really a good warning about sensuality. Good typological warning about sensuality for us. Because when they were fleeing, God told them through angels, which is amazing, told them through angels, don't look back. Don't look back. Lot's wife looked back, turned back. And she was turned into a pillar of salt. She was judged for that one disobedient word. Don't go back. Don't go back. Don't look back towards your sensual cravings. Don't go back. And I'd say, without 2 Peter 2, we may not have much other evidence of Lot being a believer. And so I'm thankful for passages like 2 Peter 2. Because after he escaped the fire of Sodom, he became drunk, became, went into sin, became drunk, and he was taken advantage of by his own daughters in a sensual and perverted way. And that's how we get the people of the Moabites and the Ammonites. But praise the Lord, we have passages like this one that shows us men who were not always outwardly righteous all of the time. But the Lord knows the heart. The Lord showed favor to them and made them examples of righteousness. This is clear evidence that though we think we know who the ungodly are, we can look out amongst the crowd and say, yeah, that person's not getting in. We tend to do that, right? We tend to judge others without necessarily putting the, the lens on us, the magnifying glass on ourselves. Look out. Oh, yeah, they're definitely not getting in. How could God preserve them? This is a good passage to remind us that only God knows the heart. Only God knows the heart. We may think in no way could God redeem them, and yet he has showed favor 
Praise God, he shows favor to the lots. That should be an amen. Praise God, he shows favor to the lots, to the Samsons, to the Davids, and to the Solomons. Because we were like them. Now, I believe Peter gives this example, not for us now to have liberty to sin in sensuality. My whole sermon would be negated for that. But to show us the extent, the extent of God's saving grace. He can save to the uttermost. God has preserved a remnant for himself, a people for his own possession. And it's a people that are messed up, that struggle in so many different ways. And notice the language in verse 9. Notice the language. The Lord, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. It doesn't say Noah knew how to rescue himself by building the ark. It doesn't say that Lot knew how to rescue himself by fleeing Sodom. No, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. And he actually rescues the godly through judgment. It's phenomenal. He rescues the godly through judgment. The greatest form of judgment wasn't a flood or a fire, even hell itself. The greatest form of judgment was the cross. Condemned the Son of God, hung on a cross, perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, and perfectly good was our Savior. What a glorious sight. Jesus was born to die. Jesus was born to be judged. But much more than that, much more than his death, Jesus became a curse. Deuteronomy tells us that cursed is any man who is hung on a tree. Why did Christ suffer? Why did he become a curse? Why did he die? So that the penalty, the penalty would not be placed on you. The penalty would not be placed on you. It's lifted. It's been lifted. Death no longer has a sting. Curse is, is not something that is on you anymore. It fell on Christ. Don't you remember Colossians 2.13? And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made us alive together with him having forgiving, forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record, record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, our debt, the debt we owed, by nailing it to a cross, by judging Christ. My hope to be delivered from the judgment does not rest in the fact that I am righteous, but that Christ was nailed to the cross. I'm rescued because Christ was nailed to the cross. I'm alive because what? Christ was nailed to the cross. And I am free to follow him in this life and the one to come because Christ was nailed to the cross. Family, don't you see that you have been rescued from the judgment? And this brings you 
This, this means that you have immense meaning to God. That you are actually precious to God. That you were a jewel to God. That you are loved by God. Not only this, Christ did not stay dead. He's not in the ground somewhere. The judgment didn't always rest on Christ. No, Christ rose from the dead and you too can walk in newness of life because He rose from the dead. Let me give you a few rapid firing closing thoughts. First, I want to make a quick appeal toward our evangelism. If you have been rescued from the judgment, don't you want all? Don't you want everyone you know to be rescued as well? Don't you want everyone you know that you come in contact with to be rescued as well? It was once said, I'm, te- I'm, a, I'm doing a plug. I'm, doing a, I'm teaching a Spurgeon class on Sunday mornings. If you haven't yet found a MIT class, come join me. But it was once said in Spurgeon's first pastorate in Water Beach that his zeal for evangelizing the lost was so apparent that at the beginning of his ministry you could hear the howls of drunk men from their rooftops awaiting the judgment, but by the end of his ministry there in Water Beach, those same men were singing the old hymns of faith awaiting their heavenly home. Guys, I hope that puts fire in your bellies, fire in your bones to preach this good gospel. God is faithful to save And he's faithful to save through the preached word, through proclamation. Secondly, if you have been rescued from the judgment, if you have been rescued from the judgment, why would you continue in the sensual cravings of this world? Why go back to pornography? Why go back to to the, the, the senseless social media fog. Why why go back to these things? The man who has seen the light of the gospel of grace will not find anything else satisfying. Our football games, I'm a big football fan, I promise you, they are, it's nothing. The, the, The cries of the crowds at Auburn or Alabama are nothing compared to knowing the gospel grace of my Lord Jesus. We have been given a charge to love our spouses and our children with a holy love. Let's be satisfied in Christ. Don't let this world consume you or distract you from godliness. Lastly, if you have been rescued from the judgment, if you know you've been rescued from the judgment, then you are free to obey your authorities. You're free to honor your parents. You're free to honor your bosses. Christ went to the cross in obedience to his Father's will. If our authorities aren't commanding us to sin, then we should follow their commands. We should obey their commands. Friends, tonight we have seen that God judges and rescues. He judges and delivers. He is a God of judgment and deliverance. We also tonight get another 
reminder of God's judgment and deliverance when we partake in the table. Christ was crushed for us under the judgment of his Father in order that we might be delivered to the Father in heaven. The table represents this judgment. It represents that Christ bore for us on the cross our sins. Acts chapter 2 says this, So those who believed, those who received his word, were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. If you have believed and you are trusting in Christ and have been baptized in a Bible-believing church, we welcome you to this table. We want you to come to this table. And tonight we want you to come joyfully because you have been delivered. You have been rescued. Let's come to the table joyfully. I'll pray and then the servants can come. Father in heaven, we are so enamored by your grace and your goodness that you, in fact, do judge the wicked for their sins. Father, would you have for yourself a remnant in this body, this church, that believes and trusts in you? Father, help us. Help us to continually come, to continually believe, and to continually work, our, work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Deacons, you can come.